The Monsters Revealed. We visit the EAG trade show. An exclusive interview with Jack Guaneri of Jersey Jack Pinball. Hi, and welcome to this month's Pinball Magazine and Pinball New Podcast. My name is Jonathan Houston. And I'm Martin Ayub. And uh, we're here to discuss with you the pinball industry news of January 2019. And it's been a, a very busy month, hasn't it? With, uh, with uh, um, trade shows, new game launches, lots of code updates, lots of, lots of new stuff. Yeah, lots of uh, short news, I would say. So um, uh, at the end of the show, that we, we, we might discuss a couple of companies in a really quick time. But uh, yeah, I guess the, the, the biggest news of last month probably was um, Stern revealing the monsters at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. Yeah, it's not exactly a surprise that uh, that game was going to be revealed there. Um, or indeed, that that, that was going to be the title of it. But uh, yeah, they had... Um, what do they have there? They have a, um, a pro and a um, premium. And do they have a limited edition? Yes, well, I can't all three models were present at the show, and I really have to compliment Stern on the. Um, um, is it the choreograph choreography that you call it? I perfectly, mean, perfectly said. Yeah, they really put it well together this time. Um, we've seen launches where everything was not very cohesive, and here we had um, Gary Stern. In uh, green grandpa makeup, Zach Sharp as um, the, 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 the Wolfman kid, um, Eddie uh, thing, so and Jack Danger as, um, um, what's the guy's name? Herman, um, um, Herman from the show, also uh, in, in green makeup. Um, full live stream for three days. Um, the website caught up, Facebook caught up immediately, so they had everything synced up that this would be a, uh, uh, like I said, well-choreographed launch. Um, so um, uh, um, I've criticized Stern in the past for um, when launches weren't that choreographed, so it's only appropriate to compliment them when they actually, um, I think they got it right and they did it very well, a uh, very good job with it. So that's just me, but still. Yes, it was certainly a, an impressive launch, and um, I think the game was was well received. It was uh, it was known about in advance, and there were certain um, comments suggesting that maybe it wouldn't be as um, as exciting as as the launch actually turned out to be. So I think uh, that did work out well for everyone concerned. Uh, I think people generally were very receptive of the game. Was that your take on it? Um, yeah, I guess so. Um, I mean, uh, from what I understood, the uh, uh, original 500 limited edition game sold out almost instantly. Um, in fact, um, I understood that Stern announced that they are now making 600 limited edition games, so they added another 100, which was then received with not that great enthusiasm. No, not, that's not a surprise, really. Um, that's the whole point of limited edition, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, personally, if I'm, uh, having played the, um, uh, the premium uh, game, which has the black and white uh, artwork on the cabinet instead of uh, the full color artwork on the cabinet uh, with the limited edition. Um, I would just go for the premium. If you're in the market for an LE, then forget the limited numbers and just go for the premium. But that's just me. 
Okay, I will. Uh, I will disagree with you there because uh, I wasn't as big a fan of the of the black and white artwork as I thought I was going to be. On the cabinets, nice. I don't like it on the playfield. Um, and the reason I don't like on the playfield is because all the inserts are coloured, and they're coloured exactly the same as they are in the in the LE version. So rather than it being sort of like Centaur with a black and white playfield and red inserts, this has got black and white playfield and multicoloured inserts and some multicoloured um, decals and various other parts which are not black and white at all. It just doesn't really come together as a as a comprehensive and cohesive package, shall I say, um, which it could have been. If they, if they made all the inserts clear or white and just done all the colouring with the LEDs, they could have done some nice stuff. But um, that one aspect of it uh, makes me think that the you know, the LE is the better deal uh, as far as the looks go. As far as value for money goes, then probably the, yeah, the premium is, if you don't mind the black and white aspect of it and the, and the colour sections um yeah the premium is is not a bad way to go yeah um so what do you think of the game but uh, we had a chance to play it at the uh, eag show yeah um i liked it well, we'll come to the eag show in a minute but uh, yeah I, i liked i liked the game i i i quite like the lower play field. i know a lot of people say they don't and i don't know what your take on that is but we'll I, get to, I, to that we'll get to that in a minute yeah um i thought it was um accessible I, um, i had a bit of a problem with the, the play field and the one i was playing because it didn't seem to register the shots very accurately so you could shoot the ram who shot it too fast or indeed the orbit who shot those quickly um it wouldn't wouldn't recognize that you'd made the shot mm. so that not might just be a setup of that one game um yeah i thought it was accessible um understandable as well which um, which is great it certainly had a, a simpler rule set It, the ones that we played, I think, were set up fairly easily in terms of um, you know, certain numbers of things were completed at the start of the game. So you only had to, um, like, if you had to uh, spell out something, then the first three letters were already already complete, which made getting to the to the Monster Madness mode somewhat easier than it would be, I think, in, a, in an arcade or in a home environment. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it certainly seemed fun, and getting uh, it certainly had the novelty of, of the of the the multi-ball on the lower play field, and then in the Monster Madness, um, at the very end, having to play the upper play field and the lower play field, play field at the same time. And I, I thought that was that was quite challenging and made that particular aspect of it a lot harder on the uh, on the premium than it was on the pro. So, but, but what's your take? Well, um, I think they did a great job, um, but the only point of criticism and that's a very personal thing is it didn't wow me it was i mean you have um, uh, especially with the premium that i uh, uh, that i played at the show um you have the 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 actual mini playfield but we've seen that on family guy already um most of the shots in the games Many people already said, like, uh, it's like a best of, uh, uh, take a shot from this game, take a shot from that game. And then there's people saying, like, yeah, but you can't be all original because every shot has already been uh, done and so on. And then again, um, I look at Dialed In and I think, no, it is possible. But um, um, 
given the 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 the, the restraints that there were with the um, um, either the license or um, uh, the, the the design, um, I mean. All the shots are proven shots. They're, they're, um, um, the elements of the game, they all seem to be fine, and yet there's nothing spectacular, if you, if you get what I'm trying to say. I do, yeah. It's a solid game, you're saying, but it's not, it's not giving you that wow factor. I, I, I would say that that kick-out lane on the upper left side is different. I haven't seen that on any, any other game. Um, certainly not in recent uh, in, in recent releases. You know the uh, I can't remember what it's called now, but uh, where it goes into there and it's it's the super jackpot award. Yeah, um, which then kicks up to the uh, to the top, which I thought was uh, onto the orbit, which is actually quite a nice shot. Right. Um, so the um, um, but I also um, I mentioned the mini playfield, and I'm, I'm making the reference to Family Guy. That's not completely mm-hmm. fair. No, obviously they. Um, improved it quite a bit. Um, the 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 ramps in there, um, the, the the up kicker, uh, it's all optos now. Instead with uh, Family Guy uh, just being switches, I think it has a multi ball. So so they improved uh, they improved that quite a bit. Um, but still, I was like. Um, Maybe it's because of the the monster theme that I was sorting the rumor that there would be a lower playfield. I was probably expecting something in the line of uh, haunted house. Yeah, yeah, full size ball and full size slippers. Yes, and and this felt a bit like, yeah, it's nice. There's nothing wrong with it, but we've seen it before, and it's not, it's not wowing me in this and yet they improved it i completely agree kudos to everybody on the team because they really did a great job and but maybe it's a theme i'm not familiar with the show at all and yet it was it was it's a fun game to play but like i said it didn't wow me Mm. and i wish it did yeah oh well you can't can't have a home run every every time um, but uh, it's a nice-looking game, I have to say. It's um, it's very attractive in both the pro and the premium that we saw. I haven't seen the early yet, but uh, other than in pictures, but um, that looks pretty good as well. Um, I think of the three, I probably, I, I probably, hmm, yeah. I, as I said, I go for the early if you could. Um, if money was not a factor. If money is not a factor, I probably would go for a premium. Hmm. And um, um, usually I'm more of leaning towards a pro, but in this case, the pro, lacking the mini playfield, um, <laughs> yeah, didn't do much for me. Um, it's still uh, it's a fun game to flip. I'd love to flip it on location or at shows or um, whatever. But it's not something that I'd be um, uh, taking a detour for just to play because it's somewhere and that's the only place to play it. Let's put it like that. Okay. Well, fair enough. Um, so that was um, we're playing that game at the EAG International Show right. in London. Um, you flew over. 
for that, um, along with uh, Alyonka right. as well um, from the Netherlands, and um, there are quite a few people from the pinball world in the, U- in the UK there as well. Um, on the uh, Stern had five machines set up on their distributor, the Electrocoin stand. Right, Deadpool Pro, a Monsters Pro, Monsters Premium, and two Beatles Gold games. Yes, absolutely right. And um, I have to say that the show in general seemed pretty quiet and didn't seem to have any problem in getting getting on to those games where we wanted to. Um, no, they were generally in, in use, but um, you only had to wait a moment and you could you could get onto one of them, even if it wasn't the exact one that you wanted, uh, which is in marked contrast to previous years. But I don't think that's a reflection on Electrocoin or Pinball or Stern. I think it's just the fact that the show was, was pretty quiet this year. Right. Uh, you've been there a few times in the past. What did you think? Um, yeah, well, probably true. Um, on the upside, there were more pinball machines than in the previous 10 years. Yes, because um, uh, I think we have to thank uh, Pinball Heaven for having, what, 10 machines? 10 machines this? in their booth, yes. Wow. Um, you've got a list of what they all are, because um, I, I would get home from memory, but they, got, they obviously had the four... From the top of my head... Um, Jersey Jack pinball machines. That was the, four games, all four, Wizard yeah. of Oz, Hobbit, Dialed In, and Pirates of the Caribbean. There was a home pin, um, a Thunderbirds. Thunderbirds. Yeah. There was a Stern Monsters Pro, mm-hmm. which was being streamed the first day. And for the link, uh, see my report on uh, pinball-magazine.com website. Um, there was a Beatles Gold. Was. Yeah. There was an Attack from Mars remake, a Monster Bash remake, and a Medieval Madness remake. And I think that's ten already. Yes. Yeah, I, th- I think that's it. Yes. Yeah. So and Jack Warnieri of Jersey Jack Pinball and Ryan White of Chicago Gaming were both present at the booth as well. They were indeed, um, which I guess probably segues nicely into um, the interview that um, that you and I did with Jack. Right. Um, do, do you want to do you want to explain how that how that came about? What the uh, what the setup for that was? What the impetus for for doing that was? Mm, um, I asked Jack, like, do you want to do an interview for a podcast? He said. Yeah, that's a good idea. Sure, why not? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, it, we got some precedent there because we did do one with with him together back in in France. In, right. When was that? May. Uh, April of last year, I think. It was April. Okay. Yes. At the at the Flip Expo show. Right. And yeah. um, speaking of that, Jack has just been confirmed to be present at this year's Flip Expo show as well. Oh, he's coming back. Okay. Yes. Well, maybe. Are you going to that? Yes, I am. And me too. So, so uh, I, I can see a tradition uh, being born here. Yeah, we're, we're we're getting the team back together again. Okay. Right. So, but um, no. Um, uh, reason to do this interview was I had been talking to Jack, and um, he mentioned to me some news that. Um, could not be reported at the show yet, but by the time we would do our podcast, it uh, was no problem to report it because um, we'd still have the scoop, but it was no. Uh, but then now we are allowed to to bring the news. Basically, that's uh, that's the whole idea. Yes, and without giving too much away, um, Jack also sort of very uh, 
heavily hints at um, future titles uh, which are coming up uh, from the company uh, this this coming year. Um, so there's a, there's a lot happening at uh, Jersey Jack Pinball at the moment. Right. Uh, so shall we uh, go over to, to Jack now, or do you want to uh, do that a little bit later? No, that's fine. Uh, let's do it now. Um, uh, as a heads up, um, we recorded this at the show floor. Uh, we tried to find a quiet spot, which is um, rather difficult. So there's quite some noise from uh, arcade equipment uh, in the background. I tried to reduce the noise. I got some very special software to do that, which I think did a great job. Uh, but it's still a bit noisy, so pardon me for that, but uh, still, I hope you enjoy this interview. So, we're here at the AG Expo 2019, and we're sitting here with Jack Guarnieri, founder of Jersey Jack Pinball. Welcome, Jack. Thank you. Appreciate it. So, um, you're here represented, or the, the company is represented at the uh, Pinball Heaven booth with four games, all four games. Um, we're just at the start of 2019. What do you expect for this year? And what can we expect? Well, you know, I'm looking forward to a really good year for uh, pinball and for Jersey Jack pinball in particular. It's exciting this year for us. Um, we expect to release two brand new games. And... Um, you know, one earlier in the year and one later in the year. And uh, we're adding some distributors around the world. And uh, there's a lot of excitement about that because they're things that we've been working on. And a lot of things take time. They just don't happen overnight. So let me just jump in there because exciting news, two games this year. Um, are, are you planning to launch those at any particular shows or any events? Or you just launch them whenever you're ready to, to launch them? I think, I think we launch them when they're ready to be launched. Right. I'd, lo I'd love to have games on an assembly line or really close to an assembly line or games in boxes or something, one of those three things, when we show the next game. Because people want their games. When you announce something, the excitement is really high and people just want to get a hold of their games. So um, having people wait... It's a, you know, it's a painful process. I think, I think we're done with that. Okay, because you've always said that you wanted to get games that people could buy there right, at right, the launch. Right. So you're, you're getting ever closer to that. Obviously, Paris took a bit longer than you were anticipating right. from launch, but you're, you feel you're getting much closer to being able to supply yes. games at launch time. Yes. I mean, the pint I just bought you, Martin, it wouldn't have been good if we went up there and she took my money and she told you to come back in a week. Mm. It wouldn't have been so good. You wouldn't have been able to enjoy what you wanted to enjoy right away. So uh, we're trying to shorten that time up. Look, there's going to be a wait anyway, because we're very blessed in a way when we do announce some, something, there are a lot of people that want to buy it. So not everybody's going to be first, but you have a lot shorter lead time if you're in production or very close to production than if you show a game and you go in production a year later. That's that's not fun for us. It's not fun for anybody. Do you ever think you'll be at the point where you've actually got games, uh, a large number of games, pre-built at launch time? Or do you it's, think it's always going to leak out no, so that'll never well, happen? Well, I think it'll always leak out because vendors talk, uh, contractors talk, 
people talk about what's going on. You know, our parts uh, in many places sit next to other uh, companies' parts, and people love they love to talk. Uh, you know, it's, it's part of the fun of everything is to get information and share that information, whether you like it or not. But um, it, it could be a day where we have games and. Uh, just announce it and hey come and get them that would be great I'd love that so if you're talking about having games ready to ship when you announce them um, ideally ideally would you don't you miss like a, the, the time that you need to test them thoroughly to make sure that like every mechanism on there is working properly and it's a, it's a good point, but, you know, if we test them internally and we test them, uh, you know, in multiple locations internally, which means that, um, you know, uh, New Jersey would have games and Illinois would have games and other people that uh, work for the company in other places uh, would have games to test, um, you could accomplish what you wanted to accomplish just as well under... Um, an environment where it's controlled. Uh, maybe there won't be people kicking them or trying to break into them or things like that, but certainly you'd be able to test mechanisms and devices and electronics um, to a level where you have confidence to build the game. Okay. An interesting point you raised there just now about, um, about the Illinois office and the New Jersey office, or the factory in New Jersey. Right. Can, you, can you explain, for those who don't not fully familiar with the factory and, and the, the business, exactly what goes on in, in which office and how those two, how the New Jersey and the Illinois uh, offices talk to each other and, and work collaboratively. Yeah, so, you know, when we started the company, a lot of, a lot of people in our industry live in the Chicagoland area. And we have contractors and people like, you know, JP, he's in Holland. And, and Butch is in New Mexico, we have other people in, in the West Coast and things like that. So, you know, one of my other favorite companies, Apple, they design in Cupertino and they build in, in China. I didn't think it was such a technological wall where people couldn't collaborate and share, especially with technology today, with all of, uh, of how you could communicate, to have an office in one place and a factory in another. It has its challenges. I mean, people just can't walk over and see something. They have to, uh, you know, um, rely on each other or do FaceTime, things like that. But the office in Bensonville, Illinois, has uh, engineers, artists, programmers, um, mechanical uh, people, electronic people, um, that basically design the games. But they design the games in concert with production in the factory in New Jersey. So it would be great if you design something, but if the factory can't build it easily, it's really not a good design. So, um, you know, we have people constantly going back and forth. Um, it's, it, it's not really that far to go. Again, it's not Cupertino to China. It's an hour and a half flight from New Jersey to Chicago, and uh, it's not really a big deal. So postal uh, offices, all the people, their counterparts, they have a mutual respect for each other. Um, when they design things, they accept each other's uh, criticisms, they accept each other's suggestions, 
and they work as one team to make the best product they could possibly make, make the greatest game they can make. So is it fair to say that all mechanical engineering takes place in New Jersey? Or is that also happening up in Illinois as well? No, that's in Illinois, but we have people in New Jersey. Uh, listen, um, Thomas Edison, I, I don't think he was an engineer. So uh, you have a lot of brilliant people that don't need an engineering degree that know how things should be built because they have experience doing it. And those people are uh, very much desired in the process. So if we have people in New Jersey that that build things, and people in Illinois that design things, sometimes in any kind of product, design and manufacturer don't agree. And you need to get them all to, to agree, and that's a, that's a process sometimes, especially when you're designing new things. You know, if we were using over and over again things that were already proven, things that were off the shelf, things that were on other games, if you're just going to take everything and recycle it and toss it on the play field, and see where it goes. The process gets a lot shorter, and uh, you know, a lot le probably a lot less fun because things have been done before. Okay. So uh, you mentioned two new games this year. Um, can you say anything about the designers of those games? There are two designers that work for the company. Well, obviously, we know that. Pat Lawler is working for the company. Yes. Is there going to be a new Pat Lawler game this year? Yes. Is it going to be a, a, a game early in the year or later in the year? Yes. <laughs> no, it'll be a, his game will be earlier in the year. Okay. It's so easy to tease with, you know. It's just, <laughs> it's just so much fun. At least we know something. Well, you know everything. You know, maybe you don't know everything. You know almost everything. Okay. But, but Pat but, has a. Uh, let me say a. A preference for narrow-body games. Is that standard-sized games? Standard-sized, yeah. Right. Yeah, regular, rather than. Well, I can tell you that Pat's next game is uh, standard-sized. Standard or a wide-body? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> It's a rectangular game. <laughs> He hasn't built a rotation nine or anything like that. Okay. <laughs> That much we know. Okay, so... How many you have today? Not much, not enough Not enough, yet. I guess. Not enough yet. <laughs> so, is there a chance that Pat is releasing two games this year? No. No. So, um, you also have Eric Meunier working yes. at the company. Yes. Is he working on a new game? Yes, he is. Is that game scheduled for release later this year? Yes, it is. Okay, so we have two names. There you go. So we got something. Uh, you, see, you, see how easy that was? Yeah. You also mentioned um, expanding distribution. Yes. Um, obviously, you're in, in the U.S. You're probably covered quite well. We, we've we've actually added another uh, couple of distributors in the U.S. We added Aminis in the Midwest. They're a really great uh, retailer. They have big stores, and um, they've been selling pinball for a while. They've been buying some of our pinball machines from other sources, but um, we met at uh, IAPA, and it just made sense for them to be a direct distributor, and we stepped up and they made a nice size order, and uh, it's exciting to have them on board. We welcome them. 
Okay. So how about internationally? Any uh, news okay. you can reveal? I'll, I'll, I'll go easier on you. So, uh, you know, I've been working on something for about a year uh, in Japan with a really great partner, uh, uh, Bandai Namco. So, uh, you know, when I think of uh, Japan and, and the landscape, you know, from what little I know, uh, pinball was pretty big in Japan uh, for a while, and it kind of went away. And I got an opportunity last month to visit Japan, and, um, you know, my, my, I think my head, like, exploded, like, about 40 different times going to all of the amusement centers and seeing the equipment, these multi-level, beautiful, uh, I, I, can't, I don't even think I could call it an arcade, but, you know, between all the online gaming and the uh, redemption gaming, the uh, instant win gaming, and by gaming I mean not the gambling side of things, but the amusement games, and, uh, you know, I, I got to go to a couple of test locations where Bandai Namco has been testing our games since last July, and uh, Butch Peel came with me. Uh, we did a service seminar, and uh, in a couple of weeks at Japan Expo, Bandai Namco will be representing Jersey Jack Pinball in their booth. All our games will be in their booth. That's, that's within Japan? So that's within Japan. They have the rights for all of, uh, of Asia. Okay. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be expanding to other parts of Asia uh, with them as, as our partner. So... That makes me wonder, obviously, Jersey Jack Games, with um, Keith Johnson being your lead programmer, they're quite deep, but since Japan is a new market, are your games entry-level enough so that people who are not familiar with pinball can easily get in and get in? Well, you know, there's going to be a learning curve. But, you know, what was kind of, I don't know if you guys saw on social media, you know, they, uh, you know, you're on my Facebook page, both of you. Um, I got to go to Osaka, to the Silver Ball. And it was very humbling for me, in a way, because there were actually people that caught wind of the fact that I was going there. And I had quite the welcoming party. And it was a little, yeah, it was, honestly, it was embarrassing, uh, you know, because, uh, uh, you know, people came out to meet us, and there's a lot of passion for pinball there. Uh, we met we met the people that run the pinball maps for Japan. Uh, we met some of the tournament people, and they're all behind us to get uh, pinball out in Japan in a big way. And they're going to be working with the people at Bandai Namco on the ground to get games out and to get to teach people how to play. Um, you know, I, I think our games in a lot of ways, especially with games like Wizard of Oz, it, it brought young people to pinball because of the technology and because of the theme. And you know how I feel about Wizard of Oz, especially with women, girls, uh, young people. And uh, we were at a test location where there was uh, uh, people playing all of our games. And, and there was a gentleman playing The Hobbit at the time, and he turned around and he saw me, and it was just a surreal kind of moment where, you know, he was almost going to cry when he realized it was me. He was started shaking and he wanted the picture and autograph. And again, it was very humbling, but 
they have a lot of passion for pinball there. So I think we'll be very successful. I think the market for us is is um, it's it's just explosive. Uh, very exciting. Very exciting. Okay. With that potential, do you think that will impact on the kind of licenses and the titles that you'll pick in the future, having an eye to what what, we, what would sell well in Asia? Yes. Yes, absolutely. And uh, you know, it's funny you picked up on that. You're very perceptive, Martin. Uh, uh, I discussed different licenses with the executives at Bandai Namco for future games, and they had some suggestions for us. Any possibility you might make games just for that market? Uh, yeah, it's possible. Okay. possible. If they come through with enough yep. orders or pre-orders? Possible. You know, it's possible you could have a game themed for one market and the same exact play fill themes for another market. Obviously, that's been done before in Pinball. Sure, I'm just thinking about what um, Homepin did. Chinese market, their, their second game is very much more focused on, on that market, um, although it has some resonance back in the West as well. So they ought to think that's a, a growth area. And yeah. you, you see it as a growth area yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and um, again, we never say never. Uh, you, you don't know where some of these roads lead, but again, uh, we try to blaze new trails and go where nobody's gone before, but at the same time, not reinventing the wheel because that takes a lot of time and energy and money and to have Bandai Namco get behind our product it wasn't a five minute decision and it was uh, it, it took it took proving what the product is and proving that uh, it can be successful that it makes money and it works and that they want to get behind it and put their efforts in it and uh, they're putting a lot of effort into it and we're really proud of them so that presumably means you'll need some, some extra effort, and I understand you, you've been taking on some more people recently as well, including yes. some people we might be familiar with from, from previous work on, in Pinball. Yes. Uh, uh, such as uh, Duncan, I guess. Yes. Uh, Duncan Brown has yeah. joined us. Yes. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, how did that all come around? Um, you know, the opportunity was there. Larry was making a change in his life. Mm -hmm. And Duncan was making a change in his life, and the beneficiary was Larry Duncan and Jersey Jack. So what is Duncan's role going to be in Jersey Jack? Well, make great games. But in what capacity in the sense that is he going to be a programmer or is he going to be involved in a different way? Exactly. <laughs> It's always a pleasure talking to you, <laughs> Well, you know, you already paved the road, so I just go down it. <laughs> you know, it's real easy for me to be interviewed by you two guys. And are there, are there any, any uh, other hirings taking place or in prospect? There are, yes. There anyone we might have heard of, possibly? Maybe. What do you know, Martin? <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to find out what I, what I, what I know or well, what I don't of, know. One of, Duncan's, <laughs> one of Duncan's contemporaries joined us as well. So, yeah. okay. Does he have a name? He does, but I'll, I'll let him talk about it when he's ready. Okay. okay. Right. So, um, so, I might cut this out, so I leave a blank space to make it an easy Are you telling everybody you might cut it out? Yeah. Wow, that's like a real cliffhanger. Yeah. So... How do you feel about your daughter? Oh, oh. What? No. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, whatever you want to say, go ahead and say it. So how do you feel about yeah, your... really, you know, <laughs> there's a name for it, what, what you are, but I'm not going to use it. So you want me to finish the question, or you know I where... I know the question before you're going to ask it. I know, you yeah. Do, I know. Yeah. So how do you feel about your daughter naming her brand new son, congratulations by the way. Thank you. After Thank you. your biggest competitor. Well, um, so little Gary, little Gary Salvatore was born the day after Christmas, and he's named after um, her father-in-law, Gary. The double R. Two R's, yeah, you wise guy. But, you know, uh, he's really cute, and uh, Olivia really loves him a lot. She's, um, she's always helping Jan and Gary with, uh, you know, getting his diapers and getting his cream and getting his um, little bib. He's already got a bib that says Pinball Wizard, <laughs> um, and it's really great. So, uh, yeah, I don't... I think that's really great. I'm happy about that. Okay. Well, like I said, congratulations on Thank becoming you. a grandfather for the second time. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Congratulations to Jen as well. Yeah, and her husband Gary. Yeah, yeah. So. It's a lot of fun. So, 2019 is going to be an exciting year for you. Yeah. 19 is a great year already. Um, you know, it, it, it started nicely. Um, and it's going along nicely. This is our first show of the year. I always look forward to this show. Uh, you, it's it's a little bit warmer weather here this year, mm. so that's nice. I'm not freezing, and um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a good show. It's a good vibe. A lot of people here. A lot of great reaction to our games. On that point, you obviously travel the world and go to lots of different events. What are the sort as of, do you? Indeed, yeah. Well, what are your must go to shows? Trade shows, pinball shows. Which are the ones which you enjoy most, and which are the ones which are which are the most profitable or most beneficial in terms of the business? You know, it's a funny answer. I'll tell you. Um, I like all of them because you never know what opportunity turns up at these shows. Sometimes a show that you might anticipate would be great is just good. Sometimes a show where you don't expect much to happen. You meet people that um, they want to uh, distribute your games, or they tried one game and now they're ready to step up and order a lot of games. So I think every every opportunity has to be looked at the same, where it's 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 the potential is really great. If you go in, I think if you go in with a preconceived notion of, oh, this show is going to be this or this show is going to be that. You kind of get into this box of uh, uh, of an attitude or a, a mood that you get into, and I'm I'm just excited to do this. I love doing this. I think I could do this forever. I'd like to believe I could do it forever. Um, and and we'll just do this forever. Yeah, I don't mind. I don't mind. Um, you know, really, the travel part of it is is fun. Um, you know, I'm a little spoiled. Uh, you know, I get to go back tomorrow and then. Next week I'll be on vacation, you know, the Friday, so we'll, we'll be away. My wife and I will be on vacation, and then I'll be back. But, you know, my vacation, am I answering my cell phone? Am I answering emails? Of course. 
Um, I try to balance things out without being a complete idiot, being at dinner with my wife, answering the phone, or answering emails or texts. You know, you, you got to try to put technology somewhere where it works out for you. Yeah. But do you ever wander around these shows and look at products that other companies are producing? Or, you know, even things like, like plush toys or any, any kind of novelty games and think, hmm, that might be a good license to make a pinball with. I, I look at everything, and, and, and I think you knew the answer to that before you asked that question. Well, that's not I you, I you also go to the licensing shows, yeah, so yeah, everything's done there. I, I, look, I look at everything, because you need to be in touch with what your customers are doing, uh, your young customers, potential customers. Uh, you know, at the same time, you need to look at what your competitors are doing and uh, be aware of what's going on and, and again not look at things through a lens of you know better or you know what'll work um, you really you know I don't know who said it I'm sure it's been said by more than one person running the company you need to just shut up and listen to your customers and a lot of times that's some of the best advice because for our company the whole company was started by our customers uh, customers became employees, customers became investors, um, you know, so I think the customer base is the thing that we have going for us that we can always really embrace and appreciate and listen to. What are your customers telling you now? They're you know, they're telling us that they really love what we're doing, don't do what other people are doing, don't make uh, certain things happen that other people are making happen, and they're responding by buying our product. So, since we're at the start of 2019, the general expectation inside the pinball market is that 2019 is likely going to be a year that might see more new games released than, let's say, the past decade, possibly even 20 years. On the other end, here at the show, I also hear distributors talking like there's so many games out there and there are more and more games coming. We don't get even get the chance to, to sell the game and the new game is already there. How do you feel about that? Well, you know, the market is going to do what it's going to do is the simple answer to that. And the customers will buy, they'll pick and choose. Obviously, not every customer can buy every game coming out. So they're going to be more, more choosy about what they buy. Uh, I see some customers buying certain games, and they keep them a short time, and they turn them over to other people coming in the marketplace at a little bit of a discount. So maybe that's healthy, because it gives other people the opportunity to buy a game that's only a few months old with a few plays on it for a lower cost. Um, I, you know... Uh, one thing I say, I don't have all the answers, and I don't have an answer to that one. Um, you know, what companies decide to do, and how many of what they decide to build, how soon they have their own plan and their own agenda for what they're going to do. I think, um, I think if you look at a lot of products, aside from pinball, exclusivity is something that consumers typically chase after. 
people, as human beings, a lot of times, people want what they can't get. And uh, whether it's an elusive girl that you might be chasing in a younger life, or whether it's something that's very difficult to, uh, to get uh, because of limited availability or because of a higher uh, cost to acquire it, uh, there's collectors that want to acquire things and want to buy things that not everybody else has. So sometimes making more of something is not really the answer. Uh, I'll give you a quick story. When I was a kid, there was a gas station in New York called Hess, H-E-S-S. -S. And they had these little toys, they were called Hess trucks. And you had to get on, on a line, a physical line, to buy them like the day after Thanksgiving. And they would sell out. And every year, people would like almost have fights to get online. They, you know, Thanksgiving afternoon to get on to get one of these hash trucks. And they would wind up on eBay for a lot more money. If they were $19, maybe they'd be $39 or $49 at the time. Well, Hess, in later years, they kind of went out of the gasoline business, but they still kept the, the Hess truck business. And they made these available online. And in the last year or so of their gas stations, they were selling them all the time of the year. Nobody cared about it. You go, you go now on eBay, the Hess trucks that were $49 are like five bucks. Nobody cared about it. So I know it might not apply to exactly what we're talking about, but just I know that our customer base waits for our product. They might buy other products while they're waiting for our product, but the loyalty is there. We never want to abuse that or take that for granted, um, which is why we want to shorten up the delivery time and, and the time it takes to um, make a game, uh, to create a game. So, you know, the market will decide what something's worth. And if it's worth buying it, keeping it, paying for it. And my reality is only my reality, but the customer's reality is, is real reality. That's what matters. Okay. If I can expand a little bit on, on Jonathan's question and also on your answer there. Um, of the four games that you've produced so far, one is obviously the original title and three are licenses. One of those is, you could probably say, is a more contemporary license than the others, the Hobbit. That was more um, time-based. It had to come out around about the time the movies came out. But the uh, Wizard of Oz, obviously, and Pirates of the Caribbean are more sort of classic movies, or classic licenses. Has the experience of working through those, those three licenses sort of pushed you in the direction more of classic titles rather than trying to bring out a game around about the same time a movie comes out or a band's new album comes out or a tour takes place or or is it, is it all fair game and everything everything works as long as you time it well? I, I think I think all works if the game is good. You know, it, really, if the movie is good and the game is bad, it's a bad game. But I mean, if you brought The Hobbit out now, people are going, oh, hang on, that's like well, five you know, years since the movie It's kind of funny out. that we, we released brand new Hobbit code today. Mm. So how many more Hobbit games will we sell because we released code today? 
So there's kind of part of the answer. I mean, the answer is zero, right? Because hobbits are built and gone. Uh, we may go back and build hobbits again. I, I don't know. I mean, there are people asking us to build hobbits. Yeah, more enough, we do. If more people ask for hobbits, we might go back and build another few hundred. Um, you know, there's always been this thing that said, well, if you have games in a movie theater, when the movie came out, it would really be great. And I remember years ago when I did collections for Mondial, and they operated a lot of games in movie theaters, and they, I think they were owned by Coca-Cola at the time when Gottlieb uh, was owned by Coca-Cola, and they were Columbia Pictures at the same time. And they had some games in movie theaters when the movie came out, and not one extra person went over to a pinball machine and put a quarter in it because the movie was there. Um, I, I think that's a psychological kind of thing. Yeah, it makes sense that if, um, if The Wizard of Oz was going to be released um, on a certain date, you'd want to have that game around the same time. Uh, you know, six months after the movie is in the movies, there's a DVD release. And then six months after that, there's another promotional release, and then it kind of tails off until somebody decides to make that movie two, or that movie three, or that movie four, or that movie five. Um, I never think it's a bad time to sell a good game. And I really, I really kind of stick to that thought process. Um, it's difficult to hurry creativity. Uh, that's kind of a cop-out excuse because designers and engineers and programmers making any kind of product in the universe will say, you know, you can't rush greatness or you can't rush uh, creativity or, you know, that's just an excuse that I can't stay on a timeline or a budget. Um, you know, we're still a young company. I mean, the company's eight years old. Never mind that I'm doing this 40 plus years. Uh, you know, a lot of people want to make great games and I think that's what we need to focus on. And um, will I... Will I take another license, Martin, for a movie that's in the works, that we don't know what the intellectual property is, that they won't release the main character, protagonist, or... Uh, no, I won't do that. That's kind of silly. I, I don't think I'll do that again. Um, and we've been offered a couple of those. And the memory of The Hobbit still stings uh, a little bit, because... I was asked about this for Replay Magazine. We're going to be interviewed in Replay for February. Uh, and, and they got into asking me about The Hobbit. And Casey, who's a pinball guy, um, said, you know, I know that you showed the game in 2014 and then you stopped and you backtracked and you put Smaug on there and you changed all the graphics and everything. Was that a good thing to do? Painful as it was to talk about it, it was a good thing to do. Because... I, I would have made I would have made a game that's less good than what we did make. Hobbit is an epic game, and a lot of people really love that game. And uh, it's beautiful, it's stunning, it's, it has a lot of uh, uh, amazing uh, firsts on it, and I'm very proud of it. But you know, it, it came at a, at a difficult price. But we still had to do the right thing for the customer. That was what we were always doing. I always pictured myself as a customer paying really good money and we're trying to give them the best product. Okay. Um, so you mentioned two new games this year. Um, 
that kind of makes me wonder, does it mean that production time per game is going to be less because there's another game waiting in line or is has the capacity increased that you can produce more games in a shorter time? Um, the capacity has increased and we can produce more games in a shorter time. Both of these titles I expect to sell over 2,000 games each. I'd be really surprised if I sold less than 2,000 games of each of them. Are we looking at three different models per game? Yes. Okay. Um, in the meantime, um, well, we just discussed The Hobbit, but uh, obviously your first game, The Wizard of Oz, has turned out to be a real classic in the sense of the movie, I would say. Uh, are you still planning on, on continuing production of that game while in between runs or something like that? Yeah, so here's a little nugget for you. We will build more Wizard of Oz games this year. Uh, we bought parts to build about 250 games this year. So um, we'll, uh, we'll let everybody know when that will happen. Uh, there, there's been a lot of interest from distributors all over the world. Uh, at this show, probably 10 people asked me about Wizard of Oz, when, when they could get more Wizard of Oz. You know, uh, our, our supply chain of, uh, let's say, let me say it different. Our distributors, what they have in the channel is not much. There's not much Jersey Jack product sitting on anybody's shelves. Uh, I can tell you that we have zero Wizard of Oz games available. We have zero Hobbit games available. We have zero pirate games available. Basically, the whole production run is sold. You know, we'll be building games for another couple of months. But people now ordering pirates, and some people order them today, they have to go on a wait list in case somebody somehow decides doubtful, extremely doubtful, that they don't want games that they order. We're stuffing containers right now that are going to Europe. Um, we finished up the 200 CE games. I have about 22 dialed-in games in the building. Uh, it was about 80, um, like in November. So dialed-in typically, you know, sells... Uh, you know, I, I said the other day, I was talking to Jen, I said, well, I'm going to go to the show. I could sell, what could I sell? You know, I, <laughs> you know, here I am, like, at the beginning of the company. What can I sell? You know, I could sell the future. I could have announced the game like an idiot, which I won't do. So, look, um, it's not a bad place to be. It's better than having 2,000 games in inventory. Right. A warehouse full of games and millions of dollars tied up in, in games. So, our customers are... Uh, very willing and eager and, and able to buy our product, and okay. it's a good place to be. So, so there's zero pirates in stock right now, and if people want one, they basically have to wait for someone else to back out. Does that mean that the production of pirates is limited in the sense that you can't produce more than you have produced right now? Or? Jonathan, what do I say? Everything's limited except aggravation, okay? So if we ordered X amount of parts to build X amount of pirates, that's all we could build until we order more parts. So, you know, would we go back and build pirates again at some point? Yeah, we, we might. I think it's a great game. A lot of people uh, came up to me today that have them. They love it. Um, but we can only build as many as we have parts for. 
right? So if the next game is coming down the track, it's time to switch gears and go into the next game at some point, the next uh, several weeks, and get that game going. Okay. Well, now you announced... So wait, I want to just say one other thing. Distributors may have games. Because I don't have games. You know, I don't have pirate games. There might, might be some distributors that have games that are not sold or accounted for, but the entire run is sold. Everything's sold. Is there any way that a potential buyer can find out who has got stock? Or does it have to ring around every single distributor and say, have you got, have you got a pirate? Have you got a pirate? Bingo. <laughs> uh, bingo. I mean, that's... Is we, that something you can help them with? We, we, we're able to sometimes, you know, sometimes distributors, I don't want to say this the wrong way, but sometimes distributors are not completely forthcoming with information to us. You know, we know if we sold a certain distributor 100 pirate games, and we sold distributor B 30 pirate games, there's more of a chance that the guy that ordered 100 might have some games than the guy that ordered 30. So that's the only direction that we could point customers, you know. We love all the distributors equally, like you love your children, but certainly uh, the world is not created equally. Some people order more and some people order less. Mm. Well, you think it would be in the distributor's interest to tell you when they have games available, so people inquire, where can I buy a Pirates game? You can point them at their local nearest distributor with stuff. You know, I think that's true if they got stuck with something. Mm. And I never hear that from any of them. I, I don't hear anybody ever calling me or Jen saying, you know, I have, you know, five of these XYZ games and I can't sell them. Can you help me sell them? I've never heard that. Okay. That I've never heard in eight years. That's not a problem. No. Okay. But going back to my Rupert question, which was, now, with producing two games a year, does, does that change the dynamics of how the, how the development teams work? You know, do you, do you go, have you ever kind of been like Williams were with their, you know, <laughs> describing it as gangs um, of, of developers, of game developers fighting against each other or each developing their own game in isolation. Previously when you're producing one game every 18 months or something like that, it was much more a collaborative effort, I'm guessing. But well, now you've got two games coming out this year, you kind of have to divide your resources a bit more. Is, is that correct? It's, it's correct, but you know, there's, there's some friendly competition. There's, there's no street gang mentality. There's nobody battling with each other. There's no slamming doors. Uh, there's a lot of collaboration and cooperative work together. Um, you know, Eric, when Eric came into the company um, back in 2012, when he was still in college, when I hired him, his, um, his hero was Pat Lowell. You know, he took, he took games apart and brought in translites and aprons for Pat to sign them. So he had Pat up on a pedestal. I'm sure now that working with Pat every day, maybe Pat's only on a soapbox now. <laughs> he might not be way up on a pedestal. He might be closer to being human to Eric than where he was before as a guy. Um, there's a lot of mentoring. There's a lot of teaching and sharing that happens. Um, United together, we're a lot stronger than we are individually. We may be great individually, but we're a lot greater working together. And that's been the DNA and that's been the mindset of the company really from day one. Um, we're not trying to, you know, uh, the rumor of many years ago we had one designer make one game and one designer make another game. They would come to shows like this and they would tell buyers, well, don't buy his game because my game's coming out and it's a lot better. 
That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. Um, I, I'm, I'm sure everybody wants to do the best they can do. That's what I see. Okay. Um, so we're still in January of 2019. One I of this <laughs> you got me into February. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I didn't yeah. know you were going to throw me on the grill here. Well, I okay, thought so it was a five-minute conversation. So, so, okay, so I'll be, where I want to get it. I would have got Martin two, two pints. He's already done. You're already done. I have my little drink here, my soda. Right, okay. So I don't even drink soda. Let, let's round this up. But obviously, oh, okay. there's, there's the announcement of uh, a Texas-based competitor who was originally planning to release about possibly even five games this year. Um, is it something that's concerning you? Or is it like, we just do our own thing and... I don't even know what you're talking about. Okay, fair enough. Thank you, Jack. <laughs> and there you have it. Jack Warnieri of Jersey Jack Pinball. Yes, very very revealing. And um, good luck to him and the company on their, their, uh, their ventures out in Japan with, uh, with Bandai Namco. Right. And, of course, well, taking... Uh, planning on revealing two games this year, um, that could be very interesting. Yeah, I think that's uh, going to be a very busy time for everybody in, in both the uh, the factory um, and also in the development office up in uh, in Illinois. Right. So now, I'm not sure whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, but um, uh, I understood that a Pirate is basically coming to an end uh, production-wise. Um, by the end of March, and um, I got the feeling that was kind of a short production run. Mm, yeah, it doesn't feel like it's been that long. No, because, uh, I mean, obviously the game has been known to, to, to come out, but then it took quite a bit for them, uh, almost a year, to get it actually into production, which was like October last year, so that's almost uh, six months, and, and, mm. and, and then move on to the next game. Obviously, at Stern, they do that even much quicker. But still, for Jersey Jack, either that, that means that they really ramped up production and they are putting games out in a, a much quicker fashion than they used to. Um, or the game is um, uh, quite underrated at the moment. And that might be reflecting in sales. Well, I guess um, if they want to produce two games this year or release two games this year, then, yeah, March time would be about the time, March or April would be about the time they want to, to launch the first of those. And um, and Jack has said many times that he wants to get to the, uh, as you heard in the interview, the, um, wants to get to the situation where he can announce a game and have, it, have the game ready for sale. So they were certainly just need to start producing their, their first 2019 title um, in March or April in order to uh, fulfill the initial orders. Right. So um, hopefully, but there's no guarantee, but hopefully we might see a New Jersey Jack game at the Texas Pinball Festival. That would I'd be surprised, but you never know. Stranger things have happened. Stranger well, things happen in Texas. Right. So, uh, but but if they are planning on on, on starting production at the end uh, of March, uh, with the Texas Pinball Festival being the 22nd to the 24th, that's basically the last week of March, I'd say, or almost. Um, 
then again, it would also not be surprising if they didn't reveal at taxes and instead would reveal three weeks later at the uh, Midwest Gaming Classic. Mm. Yes, Texas um, seems to be quite full already with, um, shall we say, monsters-related uh, um, appearances, and um, two of the two of the special guests of the show uh, are from that show. Um, the Texas show are from the monsters, I should say. So that's where the big promotion is. So I, I don't know if Jack or the rest of the team there would want to uh, sort of get, be playing second fiddle to to um, Stern and the Monsters. That's why they'd rather have their own um, promotion going on. Right, well, they might still do that and even seal the show. Well, that's possible, yeah. I mean, the Monsters have been out for a while now, so it won't exactly be new by that stage. Right, so... Um... Okay, but talking of, uh, of upcoming games, um, there's been a change for an, another manufacturer this month, this past month, uh, with American Pinball, who have uh, made some artwork changes. What what do we know about that? Well, uh, uh, we discussed this earlier. Um, there was yeah. already some, some new artwork produced after there were some comments on uh, the image of a monkey grabbing two women on, uh, on the back glass. And what they uh, have done now is um, basically the, the 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 main two characters. Um, uh, I forgot the name of the guy. Um, uh, there's Otto. Otto. The, that was it. I was thinking Oscar, but that wasn't it. So <laughs> Otto, and uh, and the female. I don't even know what her name is. No, I don't know that either. Uh, but they're basically now uh, uh, portrayed each on uh, uh, either the left or the right side of the. Um, uh, display on the back glass um, uh, in quite a large um, uh, way. So um, uh, they got rid of the monkey and uh, anything else that might uh, offend people. And um, uh, that's supposed to be the um, um, the new artwork for the game. Um, so that's about yeah. the news about Oktoberfest that I can... Think yeah, um, I I prefer the new artwork. Um, not so much, well, the back glass as well, I think, but also the the cabinet side art um, is is greatly improved because before it had a huge great head from Otto on the side, which actually covered over the name of the game. So you only hmm. saw you only saw Octob from the from the name on the side, and the rest of it was covered up by his head. Uh, but now the, the entire game name is there, which looks looks better and and more complete. Right, okay. Um, that's sort of all the news from American Pinball I could find. Uh, did you find anything else? No, I think that's about it. They're uh, obviously busy working away on getting that game uh, ready for production. I don't think it's in production yet, is it? Or is it? Um, I'm not sure. I'm th- I'm, personally, I think they, they might still be busy getting uh, moving their factory to that new plant and, and getting started over there. Mm, not sure how quickly uh... they plan to do that, but... Well, I had planned to do it by the by the end of last year, and uh, well, by the end of December, I should say, right. um, and and be making games in the new factory by then. I, that seemed pretty ambitious to me, but uh, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it's uh, a couple of weeks later. And and with all the cold weather and everything they're having over at the moment, that that's probably impacted on things as well. Right. Okay. Um, so moving on to um, um, well, let's say Spooky Pinball. Yeah. Okay, so they've been um, well. Basically, we said in the last podcast that uh, this month they would be in full production with Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle, and I believe that's now the case. 
And um, along with that, um, the seemingly endless stream of new code updates um, for TNA, Total Nuclear Annihilation. Well, it's uh, not that there are, are that many code updates for TNA, but uh, I uh, mean, the, the, the last one has been quite some time ago. But um, yeah, there has been a new code update for TNA. And um, I haven't installed it on my game yet, um, but I'm looking forward to do so. Do you know what it, what it adds to it? Uh, I read it. I forgot about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, sure. Um, Scott always does a great job with his code updates, and he puts in some, uh, some very clever stuff. Um, apparently, there's um, um, a new way to play the game, um, which um, has to do with, um, as you know, as a, a, a TNA is about uh, destroying nine reactors mm -hmm. uh, that means yeah. by default the factory setting is set to um that you have to destroy nine reactors and then the game uh, ends yeah but um uh, some clever guys figured that um uh, since the number of reactors that you need to destroy is um uh, um, can be changed by the operator um you can also set it to for example one which means that as soon as you uh, destroy one reactor, then um, it's game over. But so in a tournament setting, that actually turns out to be pretty fun in the sense that everybody mm. basically has to destroy one reactor um, and then it's game over. But before you do that, you have to score the most points yes, in order to make. So, so that's a new type of way that the game apparently is playable and um, you might see it in the, with such a setting at a show as a side game or something like that. That could be fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as you said, and as a side tournament, maybe that'll be a nice, a fairly quick one, one might think, but although it's one of those games that encourages you to not, not um, complete the objective. Um, or at least not until the very last minute, uh, the point where you think you're, you're about to drain. Right. Uh, so, Hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, so that's um, that's spooky news. Yeah, and in the meantime, Scott is still working on uh, uh, Scott uh, Denise's haunted uh, house adventure or whatever it's called. Uh, mm. Although nobody believes that will actually be the name of the game, but still. No. So yes, but just call it Scott's second game for now. Then. Yeah. Okay. Um, Chicago Gaming came also out with a code update for Monster Bash remake. Yeah, interesting. What um, do we know what the what the code update was? Because I Monster think it was um, Monster Bash. So, assuming bug fixes or um, display enhancements, maybe probably that or light show enhancements, that kind of stuff. Um, obviously, the, uh, the well, the main code is the main code. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it'll, it'll be it'll be for the enhancements they've added to it. Right. And um, but they've been having a few problems with playfield. Is that right? Well, um, I understood there, there were some posts about on pin sites about the quality control for the playfields for the limited edition games, which apparently they require a higher standard for than for the uh, um, well, it's not the pro model, but the standard games. Yeah. And um, um, and they had some issues uh, with that. And I'm personally not that really that that deep into that kind of stuff um uh but basically it indicates that they have a very high level of quality control and they weren't uh, these playfields weren't up to par so they decided not to 
I put them in games, and uh, that caused some delays in the production of the limited edition games. But uh, they're working on it, and um, I think it's a good sign that their quality and control is at such a high level. Yes, it's uh, obviously in their interest and everybody else's interest to make sure they don't end up with a bunch of uh, playfields which get damaged or uh, easily worn when they go out or indeed faulty from the start. So, right. yeah, they want, they want to make sure that's um, it's leaving the factory in, in the best condition it can be. But um, slightly surprising given that uh, their history in making playfields, you think they, they'd had that kind of thing, you know, nailed um, or having done it for the, for the past God knows how many years. But... Then again, when uh, we've been to the factory before, uh, we have seen um, quite a lot of uh, sort of second playfields uh, from from previous games, which were just stacked up there and uh, for for recycling. So yeah, clearly they they it's not a it's not a uh, a foolproof process, and um, and it's good they're paying extra attention to the limited edition models. Right. Well, interestingly, um, uh, Chicago gaming owner Doug Dubai even commented on Pinside, and he explained that even after all these years, uh, the screen printing of the playfields is still the most difficult part in their business. Hmm. Yes. Well, the rest of it's uh, computer controlled, and that's a very manual process, isn't it? Right. So, and I have no idea whether um, you mentioned that there is currently the, uh, the the cold weather in Chicago, which is uh, mm. apparently quite extreme. Um, um, I'm not sure whether that has anything to do with it, but it could be because we're talking about wood, and that responds to temperatures as well. It's a large factory. If you can't get it, um, I'm purely speculating here, but if it's difficult to get it um, uh, to, to warm the entire factory, that might affect the woodwork. And, well, that might affect uh, your screen printing as well. Yeah, absolutely. They might have um, might have supply issues, you know, with uh, getting wood the right or getting their, their wood delivered to them if um, a trucking company is having problems, you know, bringing, bringing the, uh, the timber or... Uh, or the the uh, the sheet wood, um, although that comes from it's, actually I don't know where it comes from. I'll, I'll it's, 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 it's a top it, secret; they won't tell yeah, you. So. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, so what's we'll, also we'll interesting? Any further? Right. Okay. So um, since we're on the topic of Chicago gaming, um, we were planning to do an interview with Ryan White, um, and um, for whatever reason, um, we decided not to record that at the, uh, at, the, at the EAG show where Ryan was present and said uh, we agreed to do a interview by Skype after the show, um, but we haven't gotten to that yet. So hopefully next month we'll have that because Ryan that, uh, did have some interesting, um, well, news to report on, on the production of Monster Bash. And um, obviously that's a game that had been delayed for six months as well. And there was some news on that and, and, um, I find it always interesting to hear, like, okay, why was this delayed, or what was going on, and what was the difficult thing, and all that kind of stuff. So, well, it certainly gives you an insight into the manufacturing process of these games, which you don't necessarily get. You think, you know, everything just goes reasonably smoothly, uh, but in fact, there are, all, there, are, there are an infinite number of things which can go wrong and uh, and are liable to go wrong. But it'll be interesting to, uh, yeah, to get to get to speak to Ryan and find out about this um, this latest issue and and in fact, as you said, the whole process leading up to the release of uh, Monster Bash and uh, what they're working on now. Right. So, um, moving on, Multimorphic mm. announced a new game. Um, new, but we'd, we'd seen it before. We'd I seen was wondering about, about that before. because I think I've played that before even. 
Uh, yeah, I think it was it might have been at Texas last year. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we're talking about Grand Slam Rally, which is a sort of pitch and bat type game, uh, which uses the the upper playfield from Cannon Lagoon, um, but um, unusually for for multimorphic or for the I say unusually, but it's the first time I think this is a game that's, that isn't an in-house design or the right. uh, yeah the software and even though the upper playfield is the software isn't. Right, because it's developed by uh, Pixel 86, which is a, uh, a third party, outside this party. Um, they, developed, they developed that, but I think that's a, a good thing to see multiple parties developing games for the P3 platform. Well, absolutely. That's what, um, that's what Jerry's been uh, extolling all along, the idea that, uh, that once the platform's there, then it's up, it's up to uh, other companies to go ahead and make, make games for it. And uh, so he needs to get the... The, uh, the the user base, you know, um, grown and uh, at a size which makes commercial sense for other companies to do that. But uh, this is, um, I guess, um, I would say purely software because there's, there's probably artwork as well um, available um, to to uh, go on the upper playfield and maybe even on the cabinet sides. I don't know. I haven't seen that yet. But um, it's... Um, it makes it sound like it's a reasonably simple process to um, to come up with a new game using existing hardware, and that's right. uh, that's something they're very keen to to promote. Right, and if I understood correctly, but let me check because I think I still have the website open. Um, obviously, uh, people not familiar with the uh, P3 platform um, with Multimorphic, uh, basically, you can have, you buy uh, a cabinet. With a game in it, in this case, uh, let's say uh, Lexi Lightspeed, a game uh, Escape from Earth. Um, there's a certain price for the uh, Lexi Lightspeed uh, module at the top of the playfield. Um, but then there's add on games, which cost a lot less in the sense that they might use the same playfield, but you play a completely different game, um, which is the case in this case with um, uh, Grand Slam Rally. Which is uh, um, rather economical, I'd say, uh, if you want to expand your uh, your pinball machine with a different game, then it's just a matter of like okay, a few hundred dollars, and you have a, a different game in your machine without having the hassle of of reeling in a complete new game and uh, having to set that up and all that kind of stuff. So. Um, that's very interesting. Um, I think I played this um, at Texas last year in, in whatever um, demo stage it was uh, back then. And um, just like with the uh, traditional pitch and bat games, this is like um, uh, there's a ball coming at you, and you have to you have one chance to flip, basically, um, and to make a hit and to to knock it. Well, out of the park or wherever you want to uh, yeah. knock it. So, um, but I think it's um, it's a nice and and simple, easy way to basically expand on the uh, on the platform that you already have. So, um, I think this can. I'm not sure whether it will work for locations because I don't see locations changing games over um, that often. But um, if if you I don't know if you have kids growing up and uh, and they like baseball then this is certainly a great extra that they can install easily on the game and uh, and have fun with it. And if you're done with that, then you just start playing another game. You can still play Cannonball Lagoon, 
or whatever it's called, and um, or you change the module and then you play a different game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's one one of the great advantages of having that platform is uh, all the games are just software based uh, if they're using the same playfield module, upper playfield module. So you can just finish playing one game and uh, switch over to another one and just reboot effectively. Right, and, and, and you're good to go. Right, and I'm looking forward to um, um, to seeing uh, Jerry Stellenberg uh, and his uh, uh, multimorphic team at the uh, Texas Pinball Festival. They're from Austin in Texas, so it's um, well, I wouldn't call it a home. Uh, um, uh, home show for them really, yeah exactly but, uh, but but I mean it's a, still a couple of hours drive but still it's relatively close by and uh, they're always very nice to hang out with uh, great people obviously very talented very skilled and uh, technical well, the technology in, inside the P3 game it's truly amazing if you look inside that game you're like wow um, it's truly innovative, and um, I really hope that they um, uh, will manage to come up with a a killer game that will basically convince everybody, like, yes, this is a great uh, platform, and I want to have one now, and um, expand on that uh, onward. Mm, absolutely. And... Um... So that's looking forward to uh, to the Texas show, which we'll do some more of uh, a bit later. Right. Um, so that's uh, oh, I saw that um, Multimorphic have also seem to have a lot of um, uh, Cosmic Kart Racing upper playfield modules um, that are being produced and are available to buy now. So that that's a, a, a quite an amazing upper playfield module because it's got LED. Uh, lights all along all, all the paths and uh, they do some amazing light shows with right. it. so uh, certainly get play that game if you get the chance to, to play it um, in uh, either at the show or any other show because it's, uh, it's definitely worthwhile and it's, it's, a, it's a very different way of, uh, of playing the game and then they do some nice tricks on the, on the ramps with uh, locking balls on there as well yeah very innovative and very um well, interesting. So if you have a chance, um, either come to the Texas Pinball Festival or any other show, and hopefully uh, their games will be present. And um, I highly recommend you um, give them a try. Hmm. Okay, so that's multimorphic. Let's, let's move over to your, your sort of area of expertise then with, <laughs> uh, with what's been happening uh, regarding the legal actions between uh, Dutch Pinball and uh, their, their contract manufacturer, ARA, uh, which I believe has um, had some kind of developments in the past month. Yes. Okay. So um, what happened was in December, Dutch Pinball had a court hearing um, together with ARA um, where they both explain the situation uh, from their point of view. And um, then it was up to the judge to make a ruling. And um, I've been talking to um, Barry um, a couple of times in between, but um, uh, most of that was off the record. Um, in the meantime, obviously, uh, Jaap was also being treated for throat cancer, for which he's been cleared thankfully now uh, after uh, after treatment so that's good news on their end um in the meantime uh, um, their lawyer told um dutch pinball that uh, it would be best not to discuss the um uh, the court case in in public and um i respected that 
So basically what happened is after um, uh, both parties uh, basically did their um, uh, thing in court, um, the judge came with a ruling a couple of weeks later. Or Well, it wasn't a ruling, but basically no. the judge said, like, um, why don't you try to come to an agreement by yourselves? just um, outside court. Um, and uh, so Dutch people reached out to ARA, and from what I understood, ARA turned down everything that they had to offer. So they were not interested in manufacturing the games at all. So anybody thinking that, oh, sure, they can work it out and uh, ARA will start manufacturing the games, no, that's not going to happen. Um, there are still some possibilities, but... Basically, so what Dutch Pinball um, and ARA reported back, yes, we talked, we couldn't reach an agreement, please make a ruling um, so that there would be a verdict. And uh, that was, I think, uh, mid-December that uh, they came back to the judge. And um, typically there's a six-week period um, that a judge can take to make a ruling. And with Christmas and the holidays being in between there, it could even end up being uh, uh, six to eight weeks. Mm, yeah. Uh, which it uh, turned out to be, I guess. Um, and surprisingly, the judge basically told them again, um, to try to find a way to, uh, to, to solve this matter by themselves, um, which uh, might seem odd. Um, now, I did talk to Barry earlier this week, and um, I got the feeling that um, having the court basically sending them back to... Um, see if they can uh, work things out tells me um, they better work something out because uh, because if the court really has to make a ruling then they're not going to like it and it's probably uh, that may have to do with a judge not being fully aware of how much costs are being involved how much time and labor and effort uh, on both sides basically and if they're not, if if they don't find a way to to reach an agreement with ARA in, in what type of any type of way, they're probably better. Or were, if the court would make a, a, a ruling, they were probably going to say like, "You both get nothing. Get out of here." And case is missed. And that's probably the worst case. That uh, because then you spend all this money on court uh, stuff and you still have nothing. Um, sure. And the court might even say, like, okay, you know what, um, you guys made expenses, uh, ARA made expenses, okay, we're giving the games to ARA and all the inventory uh, goes to Dutch Pinball and good luck, guys. And that's probably not what well, it's pure speculation at this point. Mm. But if, so, if the court would say, like, if you can't work it out, okay, this is my ruling and out of my face. Right, but from your interpretation so far, um, it seems like Dutch of Dutch Pinball have come up with a number of possible solutions, uh, all of which have been turned down by ARA. Right. Um, but that's that's obviously a one-sided discussion because you you only been talking to Barry, you haven't been talking to anybody from ARA. Right. Maybe I should do that. Right. Well, if they talk, yes, they don't seem very keen on talking. But um, 
is there any kind of timeline on when this is going to be sorted out or when you know when there might be some kind of decision if um if they can't come to an agreement then uh, there's, there's no there's no schedule no court schedule no no next hearing or anything like that taking place um not that i'm aware of so in this case um i'm not sure whether it's like okay you have to reach an agreement within four weeks or so or else the yeah. court will rule um i don't think that's the case here um on the other hand i do think that both ara and dutch pinball both want to um draw a line and and I'm sure they do yeah um so move on from from the the mess so, that they're in at the moment and uh, my, resolve it one way or the other what i expect will happen is that um dutch pinball um is like, will probably reach out to ara and um see if they um basically can can do a um I'm not sure the the right uh, terminology for you, but just a um, okay, sort of like a final offer: take it or leave it. If you leave it and the court will rule, then we're both screwed. If you uh, if you take it, then at least we both uh, make some money. Um, uh, it's obviously very clear: Ara doesn't is not going to build any games for Dutch pinball. That's not going to happen. So they need to find a way. So what are they going to do with um, sure. the inventory that's currently there? Um, and if they can work out something, um, and then anything is possible. Basically, if if Dutch pinball is able to um, uh, walk up to Ara and say, "Here's a bag of money." Um, this is our final <laughs> offer. Um, take yeah. this. We take everything away, and who knows? You know, if Ara says yes, okay, that's fine, and then we're done and have a nice life. Who knows? Yeah, I can't see uh, Dutch people turning up with a bag of money, to be honest, in in any circumstances. But let's let's hope. Let's fingers crossed that um, they they can work at something out and come to some kind of agreement because. Uh, this has dragged on a long time, and uh, there's a huge amount of uncertainty, and uh, it's uh, it's a mess that needs to be sorted out and, and resolved one way or the other, so people know where they stand. Uh, either they're going to get something, they're going to get nothing, um, and uh, or you know the, the, there is the serious prospect of uh, more Big Lebowski games being made sometime in the future, which uh, which probably needs to happen. Well, it's a great game, so uh, it should happen. Um... It will. It won't happen at, at Ara. That's one thing that's certain. Um, now they just need to see if they can find some sort of deal on how they can basically um, go their separate ways in such a way that both parties are yeah happy yeah. to move on and not look back. Okay. Well, good luck to those those two, and uh, let's hope that game comes uh, comes back into production fairly soon, and all the people who are waiting for their games get them. Right. Uh, so one um, way or another. Other Dutch news. Um, yeah, some uh, other news then. Yeah. Um, um, uh, we mentioned. I'm not sure whether we mentioned this uh, last month, but Jaap has been undergoing a uh, chemo treatment for his uh, throat cancer, and he has been cleared, uh, uh, declared cancer-free. So that was successful. He's still recovering. Yeah. Um, on a sad note, um, on top of 
recovering from his chemo, his father died. Yeah, what a what a time. Uh, yeah, so my condolences. Um, absolutely, all our condolences. I'm yeah, sure. to um, to out of that pinball, and um, I don't know the circumstances on on what happened. If his father was ill, or um, obviously he wasn't the youngest. I can, uh, but I have no idea. In in still, um, never. A, um, a good situation to be in no. so um, hopefully um, a quick recovery from Yap and um, um, and, and uh, hopefully that's the end of uh, any, any cancer scare for him right yeah and um, obviously this is a very um, uh, sad period in his life I can imagine so um, mm. all the best with that and hoping for a brighter future absolutely uh, talking of bright, um, let's let's move on to um, a new pinball manufacturer who, who is working on a on a game. Right. Um, this one based in Florida, I believe. Is that right? Could be. Uh, Not completely yeah. sure, but um, I yeah. think so. Yes. Yeah. So we're talking about Suncoast Pinball, um, and they have they've revealed their their game, their first title, uh, to be called uh, Cosmic Carnival. Um, it's a, a pretty symmetrical um, layout, um, not too uh, complicated. Uh, right. It reminded me, if I may make a comparison, and I'm not even sure whether I'm accurate here, but when I looked at the white wood, it sort of got me thinking of truck stop. Uh, okay. I'd have to cast my mind back to that playfield layout because uh, I haven't seen one of those for a long time. But it did seem a, um, a very symmetrical and a very... Simple layout, really. Right. Well, okay. So even if it's not something like Truckstop, I think the safe, it would be safe to say that compared to a a, a Williams or a Belly 1989 game, and you're probably very safe with that. Yeah, I guess so. Um, in the fact that it's got ramps. Right. Um, other than that, I think the playfield is is very sort of electromechanical in in its um, design, with the with the exception of those ramps. It it seems to have quite a lot of unused space, shall we say? Um, well, the, that doesn't mean it has to be a bad thing. I mean, think about um, Attack from Mars or even Deadpool or um, no, well, not uh, Deadpool, but um, uh, Monsters comes to mind. Uh, that's still. Um, I would disagree with that. I would say. That uh, looking at uh, Cosmic Carnival, though I don't think there are even any orbit shots to take the ball back up to the top of the playfield. Yeah, you know, the only way you can get into the upper rollover lanes was from the the plunge uh, on the shooter lane that runs all the other side of the okay. playfield. Right. Um, so there are a couple of ramps, a couple of other shots, a uh, centre shot, uh, a scoop that's guarded by a drop target. There didn't seem any any big toys on the game. It's, so it's 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 kind of going back to uh, taking the uh, total nuclear annihilation route back to a, a simpler, e- easy to understand, easy to play game. Right. Um, Although we still don't know, seen, the rules could be still be very complex. That's what I'm saying. All we've seen so far is the playfield layout. We haven't seen much in the way of art. Um, although, speaking of art, um, it was interesting to see that um, Suncoast have uh, teamed up with uh, Dirty Donny. Um, for uh, to do the art on the, that first game, right? Which is uh, a very, very uh, impressive sign up, I'd say. Wouldn't yeah, you? a surprising sign up, I'd say, because obviously Dirty Donny has been doing artwork for Stern for three, four games, I think, something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm surprised that Stern 
uh, either let him go or allowed him to work for another company because that's usually not something that Stern is likely to do. Absolutely not, no. But um, there it is. He's he's uh, signed up for the for this game at least. I don't know if there's any any longer term deal to produce some um, subsequent games. But um, uh, Cosmic Carnival was revealed with some artwork on the cabinet and um, and back box, I think. But I'm guessing that's uh, provisional. Out and of, will change. Out, out of the window. Let Dirty Donny do his thing. Yeah, exactly. I don't so, but they are keeping like the name that. Cosmic Carnival. So, um, well, you, th- there's all sorts of things you can imagine, and then add Dirty Donny's um, um, artwork style, which is quite um, expressive. It's probably a good way uh, uh, to put it. It's, it's pretty out there. Um, so, uh, yeah, that could be interesting. Um, what I'm really curious about, um, obviously, Dirty Donny also has done. Um, these uh, uh, blacklight posters or these posters mm-hmm. with fluorescent uh, paint. It would be interesting to see a, um, a pinball game uh, utilizing those type of paints uh, in the artwork. Um, yeah, it's, it's been done before. Of it's been done um, before, but it's been a long time since it's been done. It has been, yeah. And it hasn't been that successful when it was done before. It was, I mean, ones that spring to mind, obviously, Viper Night Driving, which had uh, a black lights down the side of the playfield, And also, I think, uh, didn't Predator, I think, try to try to use UV inks in the playfield, but didn't really. It didn't really work out well. Well, many things didn't really work out with that. Yeah, Big, Big Bang Bar had a, a UV light uh, fluorescent tube in there as well for when you're playing um, uh, the the wizard mode. But um, now, what I'm talking about here is um, uh, more like cabinet artwork, like. Um, if, if, if the game would be in an environment where there would be uh, outside UV black light uh, coming in, the game would really pop up, not as part of so much as a mode in the game that it would light up in UV uh, black light colors, but um, just more that the artwork would pop if, um, you know, using those mm. type of paints. Um, well, also, I think these days it'll be a lot easier to, to actually do that if you did to, to use UV paint and UV lights within the game because you could use UV LEDs, right. which weren't things which were available before. You had to have a, an entire tube um, to, to illuminate the playing field. Now you can do a lot more lot more with uh, LED lighting. Right. Um, but then again, this is all speculation and wishful thinking uh, oh, because yeah. we have no idea what Dirty Donny has in mind for that game and uh, how, how if there is any even any budget for uh, uh, such type of um, uh, artwork package, so to speak. Yeah, we don't know, but uh, we're pretty sure it's going to be a, a, a sort of standout game from the artwork perspective, even if uh, the playfield is um, is not that exciting at this stage. But there's, right. no, no, it's, it's a long way to go before it, it reaches production. Um, but uh, they are expecting to reveal it or show it to their current state at Texas Pinball Festival, I think. Actually, they, uh, I think they already they did show the game at the um, um, Houston Arcade Expo, which was simultaneously with Pinball Expo last year. So I think they already showed the game. But then it was probably the Whitewood of which we've seen pictures. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, hopefully they have more to show than that um, at uh, at Texas and um, planning to. To start producing it towards uh, well towards summer I suppose well end of May start of end June, of May like yeah that. 
So I'm, I'm kind of curious what kind of uh, production they're aiming at. But um, hopefully we get to talk to these guys at the Texas Pinball Show in March, and uh, yeah. we hope to bring you more news on that. Yeah, we'll uh, try and get an interview with them and uh, see what their plans are for, for that game and, and for future titles. Right, but it um, will be exciting to see them bringing um, uh, a new game to uh, the Texas Show, because yeah. for all that we know, there might not be that many game reveals um, as uh, people might be hoping for. Well, not as many as were originally planned, but um, uh, Suncoast are one company who, who work on their, their first title. They're not the only one, of course. There are quite a few other companies out there now working on bringing new games to the market. Well, let's, uh, let's make that... Thank you for that, Bridge. Let's move on to um, Great Lakes Pinball. Um they are working on a game called Expose, uh, I think it's pronounced. Mm-hmm. Um, I, think right. I don't think I've seen any details of a play field yet, uh, but they did reveal um, a character for their upcoming game called Leroy, and that sort of looked like a, um, um, uh, a space uh, type of character, something yeah. you would find in yeah. space. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure it's an alien or a, a human sort of um, astronaut, cosmonaut type right. character, but it seemed sort of quite cartoony and, and short and squat. Um, so maybe give me an indication about about the theme of that game. But uh, I should also mention, as far as I'm aware, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong on this, um, I've had a few people ask me, Great Lakes Pinball, anything to do with Great Lakes Modular? Uh, the Tony Clark company, who right. used to make uh, um, replacement boards um, and uh, or circuit boards and, and designs. And as far as I know, they're nothing to do with them. Do you, do you, is that your understanding as well? I haven't actually investigated that, to be completely honest. Um, but there are more uh, than one lake or multiple lakes in America. <laughs> so um, I'm not sure whether there are uh, more than one area uh, that might be referred to as the Great Lake area. But um, even if so, if, it, if there is only one Great Lake area, there might still be... Um, it might be covering a big area and well, uh, multiple uh, companies yes. in there that, uh, with an interesting pinball. So it's yeah, it's just interesting. That there's another Great Lakes company, Great Lakes named company producing pinball. But as far as I'm aware, there's no association of Great Lakes Modular, and uh, I don't think Tony is uh, is involved in in that side of the business. Anymore. Or maybe he's doing the board set and leaving the the design work to others. That could be. But then again. Um, well, who knows? If if we can find out more, perhaps at the Texas Pinball Festival, who knows? Um, yeah, let's I, see if we can I, find out. I kind of gathered from my, my previous discussions with Tony uh, it shows that he was kind of, uh, should say, getting a little jaded from the pinball scene and was looking for for new avenues. He was he was certainly very much into modular synthesizers, and uh, can't blame that's, him. Uh, well, quite yeah. It's a, it's a it's another booming market and uh, something in which he was uh, quite well known. So. Um, I wouldn't be at all surprised if that's where he was concentrating his efforts these days. Okay, so um, Great Lex Pinball uh, with their expose game. Um, so they no no time scale on that as to when they're going to reveal anything, as far as I know. No. Okay. Um, and the same could be said for uh, for Deep Root, of course, who uh, 
who were due to be revealing their their games or their first batch of games at the Texas show, right? And uh, postponed that for a while. And um, but we also have some other news from from uh, well from Robert, yes. who's head of Deep Root. Right, and um, let me put that in uh, the right context. Um, I emailed Robert um, Mueller, that is of the. Um, uh, uh, initiator of uh, Deep Root uh, Pinball, I um, think I may call him, um, and um, basically I expressed to him that um, with the Texas Pinball Festival coming up in March, um, you and I both are flying in a few days ahead, and we were wondering whether we could uh, visit the Deep Root Pinball facility in San Antonio. Yeah. And um, uh, Robert replied, and he said that we could not. Um, because uh, there might be too much uh, stuff in plain sight that he doesn't want to uh, uh, to get out there, leaked or whatever. Um, he's not uh, allowing uh, other parties like this week in pinball either. Um, so it's not that he's um, uh, prejudiced in the sense of uh, those guys can come, but you guys can't. Um, but he had some very happy news to share as well, because apparently he's getting married um, the week of the Texas Pinball Festival. Yes, that was interesting, um, as that was the week when it was meant to be the, the five days of Deep Root, right. wasn't it? Um, and that was only called off in, what, November, December? Yes, December-ish, let's call it yeah. December-ish. Okay. Um, so now that makes me wonder... Did he call off the five days of deep root because he's getting married? Mm-hmm. That could be. Uh, I mean, it, it it's not the sort of thing you would you would choose a date for at, um, at the last minute. You no know, one. Oh, oh, we're now not doing this. Let's go and get married. You know, it's a, it's a strange strange timing. Yeah, could also be that his uh, future wife said. Um, I'm far more important than this pinball stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I want to get married that week. <laughs> and if you don't like me or love me, then it's that's it. But no, that's I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm that's, <laughs> that's not um, let's not stretch that too far. Uh, right, uh, it's just speculation. A, no, no, a, you know. But uh, so Robert did mention that he was getting married um, uh, the week that we were. Um, uh, available to come over. So, um, as odd as it might seem, congratulations to Robert Mueller of Deep Root for uh, his upcoming uh, wedding. Absolutely, yeah. Congratulations to him and uh, and his future bride. Yeah. yeah. So, um, um, uh, do we know it's a bride? I'm not even sure. Is that still politically correct? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yes. Um, uh, I mean, that was a huge assumption on my part, and. Um, um, not necessarily one that's got any uh, any valid um, reasoning. So, uh, so that's, that's, that's a reflection. Uh, let's on, just on say congratulations to Robert Mueller and his future partner. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, just to be accurate, well, uh, politically correct, because we don't want to step on anybody's toes. Quite right. Yeah. Good. Right. Uh, I'll go along with that. Okay. So that's um, that's what that's the deep root news from uh from last month of, of january um now what else have we got going on um you did quite an investigation on um john trudeau well i wouldn't say investigation but i have been I've certainly been following the progress of the uh, the court cases 
um, in which he has been uh, involved um, ever since he was arrested. Um, I, I kind of, um, it's, it's not something I enjoy covering, and it's something which I'm, but it's something I think needs to be covered somewhere because. Okay, so you can read all the details on <laughs> pinballnews.com. Let's move on. Yeah, no, but there does seem to be a, a sort of um, a reluctance to even mention anything about it, and I think um, people need to need closure, and we need to know. Is otherwise everybody's just going well. What happened to John Trudeau? He was uh, was designing you know, all these great games, and then all of a sudden he's vanished. Well, uh, he might still be designing games on 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 the wall of his uh, prison cell. <laughs> well, for all yeah. that we know. Exactly. Well, he's got um, he's probably got about another uh, fourteen months or so in which to come up some some uh, killer designs. Then, because uh, he probably won't be out of prison until uh, right. So, so um, as, as, as much as you don't like covering it, um, I do have a question about it because um, there were uh, two separate cases, and he pleaded guilty in both. Um, for the first case, I understood he got uh, three years minus the time already um, uh, served. And right, yes. the other case, um, several charges were dropped, but he pleaded guilty on another one. Um, and there was a ruling in that as well, but the the sentence didn't go up any further. It was still just the three years that he already got. Or so yeah, he was uh, John John Trudeau was um, uh, was was facing two charges in the first court case. Um, it looks like it was a, a plea bargain there, where he um, was sentenced to three years imprisonment uh, in return for pleading guilty on the stipulation of facts, which means that he doesn't admit to guilt but accepts the truth of the prosecution's case now normally that's only something which um, comes into play where there's any chance of of a, of a, of a, a civil case you know any damages being being um, claimed against him uh, which is not going to happen in this case I don't think given what the case is about um, but uh, anyway it, it's kind of kind of gives him some kind of out i suppose in in the future and then the second case which um which took place the very next or was the hearing took place the very next day uh, which um the details only came out um the following week uh which he pleaded which he was facing five charges which are varying degrees of of, uh, of severity from class two uh, which is um well, I don't call any of them minor because I don't think any such a thing such a thing exists when in that in that uh, instance. But they were they were charges um, um, from a class two to a class one to a class X, which is the most serious, which potentially for uh, the, the most serious cases could carry up to thirty years in prison. Right. Um, but um, he he apparently it would seem um, negotiated a, a plea bargain there and pled, pleaded guilty to. One of the mo- one of the more minor charges, the class two ones, for which he also got three years imprisonment, uh, and charge and the the case, um, the charges, the other three four charges, were not prosecuted. They were, they were dropped effectively. Um, they weren't. He wasn't found not guilty on them, but they there was no the, the prosecution didn't continue on them. Does so, that mean there is not uh, uh, enough evidence, or no, there's is no it indication part of the exactly? Uh, exactly why uh, or what ended, what evidence was available it was um it was just it it's not it's um it's a latin term uh, which basically means it it's not going to be prosecuted any the case is not going to be prosecuted any further 
Right. So, so, that's, so that's the, the end of those cases. The not being very familiar with the American court system, I'd say that it could also indicate that the charges were false, or that he was fal false, falsely accused. Um, uh, not, I don't think you can draw that conclusion. Okay. Um, um, from the fact that pardon the, my ignorance on that. Um, um, yeah, there's, there, there is no there is no inference to be drawn from the fact that the that they are not prosecuting that case. It could be for a number of reasons, um, uh, and most likely, I would say, is that uh, it was just part of a, a deal to get the whole thing wrapped up and uh, and dealt with quickly, or relatively quickly, and uh, and moving on. So okay. uh, it ended up with uh, with um, John Trudeau being sentenced for three years in prison, minus time served of around about um, two hundred and fifty days. Which we'll uh, see if um, if the normal state of affairs um, in, in the U.S. legal system uh, prevails, which is that you get um, for, for for good behaviour, you get fifty percent discount on your on your um, on your jail time. Mm. Um, I reckon it'll be out in around about um, um, uh, what I reckon about uh, May, I think, of uh, of next year. Okay. Yeah, so that's uh, that's kind of the end of that, and uh, still, um, still. Well, hopefully, yeah. Um, you know, a few people have asked, you know, why are we even talking about John Trudeau? And he's not in the pinball business anymore. Uh, well, I think people people like to know why he's not in the pinball business anymore, and um, exactly what happened in in, those, in that situation. Uh, uh, as distasteful as it may be. Okay. So, okay. Um, then moving on. Um, mm. There uh, was some news that um, um, Zach Manny of the um, Straight Down the Middle podcast, a, um, um, I guess we can call him a, um, well, we fellow can call him a competitor, fellow, fellow podcast um, hmm. um, uh, host, host exactly, yes. Yep. Um, he bought Flip and Out Pinball. And if I'm not mistaken, Flipping Out Pinball is that company that is making or selling that um, um, automatic stairs uh, thing, yeah, kind of, where absolutely. you can easily move pinball machines up and down the stairs with this. Um, yeah, Flipping Out Pinball, uh, a staple of, uh, of, of many pinball shows in the US, um, big um, resellers of the Escalera uh, lifter. That's what I mean, yes. Yep, one of those. Yep, um, and always, always have uh, you know two or three of those those devices on on demonstration at their shows, and uh, and very effective products and impressive they are as well to watch them lift a pinball machine up upstairs. I've got a few friends in the US who have them, and uh, it's it's a bit frightening the first time you, you strap a pinball to it and uh, and just press the button and, and watch it climb the stairs with your your multi thousand dollar. Um, piece of, of precious equipment being lifted upstairs but uh, it does a very good job of it and uh, but i think um uh, i think that company was was uh, previously run by larry kitchen who uh, spent many years touring people shows and i think most re more recently became a, a stern reseller i think yeah I, uh, that's what i think too so uh, basically so, um uh, zach is now a um stern Distributor or reseller or whatever you want to yeah. call it, as well as Escalera, I guess is that uh, that that deal continues as well. Right. So, yeah, so good luck to Zach and um, 
and and the flipping out pinball business. Let's hope uh, it uh, you can take it from from strength to strength. Right. So um, actually, I found uh, Larry Kitchen's. Um a business card. Um, he was also a distributor for Jersey Jack pinballs. So, ah, um, okay. So, um, could be that Zach has become a distributor for both Stern and Jersey Jack now, and okay. as well as the um, um, Escalera and uh, other fun stuff. It says on uh, on the business card. So, and um, obviously, we wish um, Zach um, all the best of success. Uh, with his uh, new company, um, I'm sure he continues to be doing his um, uh, podcast hosting as well. Of course, so. yes, yeah, yeah. Very, very entertaining guy, and uh, good luck to him and and the business. Right. Um, so we're almost at the end. Um, almost at the end. But a few other items, I think. Well, um, the Texas Pinball Festival have been announcing um, quite a few special guests um, over the past couple of weeks. Um, I'll give you a quick rundown. Mm. Um, from American Pinball, Josh Kugler and Joe Bolser are, uh, have been announced. Um, Eric Meunier and Jack Guarnieri of Jersey Jack Pinball are uh, coming to the show. Um, Jerry Stellenberg and his team from Multimorphic are again uh, coming to the show. Stern is uh, represented by a um, John Borg, who designed the um, uh, Monsters game, as well as Jerry uh, Thompson, who did the sounds for that game, uh, Dwight Sullivan, programmer of that game, and Christopher Frenchy. The artists uh, for that game. Yes, exactly, uh, and other games as well. And um, I understood that um, there is a VIP Monsters uh, package um, yep. available for uh, only a few spots left, I believe. Yeah, I'm not sure there are any of those left now. If there are, then there aren't, aren't many left. Right. Um, I think, actually, the last number I heard was under 10, so it could have been sold out by now. But that. Anyway, it's fun to mention anyway. So there's a VIP treatment um, before the show starts where there's a meet and greet with um, the Stern design team as well as uh, uh, Butch, Patrick, and uh, Pat Priest um, who featured on the original um, uh, TV series. Yeah. And um, uh, the package also includes a um, a -a one-of-a-kind um, uh, print from uh, Christopher Frenchy um, uh, of Monsters uh, artwork, which will be signed by the entire uh, design team and the, the, the uh, actors from the TV show as well. Very so, nice. um, yeah. Um, so, possibly only a few still available. So, if you're interested in that, then uh, visit. Uh, TexasPinball.com, and you can find all the details over there. Other uh, VIPs that I recall that have been announced, um, Barry Osler and Dennis Nordman, both mm-hmm. of yeah. uh, Deep Root Pinball, and uh, Steve and Mark Ritchie have been it's, also it's announced. Gonna, it's going to be a good show. Um, it's definitely going to be a good show. Um, and it's going to be interesting. Uh, there's, uh, if we, usually we don't speculate, but, um, Steve Ritchie is sort of like expected, 
well, he's obviously he's working on a game, and he might be next in line um, from Stern. Um, with Monsters being revealed early January, who knows? Maybe that's Texas mm-hmm. show. You never know. Then again, you don't. Stern is also notorious for releasing a game two days after a big show. Uh, yes. Yeah, and in, in some circumstances, yeah. Yeah. Although, I mean, I, it, it certainly looks like Texas Show, the Texas Pinball Festival, I should say, is uh, it's going to be heavily promoted um, or heavily pushing uh, the monsters as a theme with uh, with all the guest stars and the design team there. So it would be it would be strange if they then went ahead and announced a completely different game at that show. Sure. Uh, a few On the days other afterwards. hand. On the other hand, it's a good way to launch a game. But then again, it, it's, it's up to Stern Marketing, and I would not be surprised if they would announce, if the game would be, if it would be like an April type of game, uh, because every, uh, Stern is expected to, to release more games this year than they have done in previous years. At least that's the rumor. Um, obviously, they have more design teams working now, so that it makes sense that the number of games being released might go up. Um, so then, technically, March, April would seem like a logical uh, period to launch the next game, keeping in mind that there are more games to follow later in the year, and you want to spread those out evenly, I guess. All speculation, but still... Yeah, I would yeah, not be surprised uh, if there would not be a game at um, the TPF show. And um, who knows? Maybe they wait with um, uh, that game until the Midwest Gaming Classic, which is mm. three weeks later. Um, and uh, yeah, they're back out with uh, Jersey Jacks to, uh, when they're going to announce their game. Right. So there's, there's that uh, a very narrow window um, for the first half of the year um, at big big shows or big events. So, um, I should also mention uh, there's one other special guest for the Texas Pinball Festival uh, we didn't mention so far, yes. which is uh, John Reese davis Right. Um, the the, uh, the well-known actor and um, and and a very, very well-known voice in games such as Indiana Jones and uh, Lord of the Rings, for instance. Right. Um, so he, he will be there as well, signing autographs and... Uh, and um, and you no doubt you will hear him across the uh, the other side of the of the hall. He's not the uh, not the quietest of, of speakers. So once he once he gets going, um, he will uh, he will no doubt bring uh, plenty of entertainment to to uh, to Frisco in in March. Okay, well I look forward to that. Um, um, I always enjoyed how he, he his 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 uh, voice work on uh, Indiana Jones is absolutely. Great, I would say. You yeah, know? I think I think so. It really, really uh, makes that game. I think. Right. Uh, I mean, not, not, it's not it's not a good game to start with, but uh, but yeah, there's, there's some some voice call outs in, in various games, which uh, you know, should we say? Uh, I want to go say lackluster, but uh, maybe not uh, the most exciting. Uh, whereas um, the exact opposite is true. Any, anything that John Rhys Davis gets involved in, he, he really does give it his all. 
Right, and it could be interesting um, having uh, John Reese Davis uh, doing voice work for um, Indiana Jones, um, sort of being reunited with Mark Ritchie, the designer of that game, um, mm. and in Pinball Magazine number four, which uh, features the career of Mark Ritchie, he spoke um, very kind words about working with John Reese Davis. So I'm sure these two will probably get along and get a drink in a bar or maybe two or I don't know you know but I can see that they would from what I understood from Mark um, when I interviewed him um, uh, the, John Reese Davis was a, a, a pleasure to work with and I'm pretty sure that Mark will be delighted to see him again yeah I think you're right yeah he definitely fully got into the role um, of uh of call-outs or announcing call-outs for the, for the game. Right. Uh, so, And then the yeah. two most important uh, uh, special guests at the Texas Pinball Festival show we haven't announced yet, although they have been announced, but we didn't mention them. Yeah, well, modesty forbids and all that. But, uh, yes, yeah, so basically you and I will be there. Ta-da! Yes. Yeah, doing our, uh, our tried and tested and, and popular um, So You Think You Know Pinball quiz. And, right. and kicking off the the whole uh, seminar session, um, I think uh, yeah. we're doing the first first slot. I think, aren't we, on, on yes. Friday evening? Yes, that's our basically our, our um, traditional slot. I would say we're opening mm-hmm. sort of the show, and um, I think this will be the third time that will uh, will it will be the fourth time that we're doing this at the Texas Pinball Festival. But it will yep. be the third time that we're doing this during happy hour in the bar. So um, plenty of people already there, and we're just asking questions and handing out prizes to those who get the most answers right. So Yeah, I mean, how hard can it be? Um, you just turn up, have a free drink, join in the quiz, answer a few questions. We give you some, some cool stuff. Yeah, with uh, usually um, uh, heavily sponsored by uh, many of the uh, uh, pinball companies present at the show, such as uh, uh, Stern Pinball, Jersey Jack Pinball, Spooky Pinball is always very kind to us, American Pinball, and uh, possibly lots of others. Uh, we still have to ask if they want to participate, but so far they have always been very collaborative in that effort. So, uh, Absolutely. Up yeah. front, the, 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 entire, a, the entire thing couldn't happen happen without without the uh, support of, of the sponsors from the show um and uh, other pinball uh, companies as well who uh, who give us give us stuff to uh, to give away yeah it's always nice to give away stuff that people give you to give away it is maybe one day we'll get something i don't know um sometimes i regret giving stuff away because i, I really would like every to keep time it's like oh all these cool trans lights and posters and t-shirts and everything and i think oh, i'd like that yeah yeah so there oh we well go. maybe we should make a better deal this year um so, oh well, we'll see. Um, but that means, um, obviously, we look forward to seeing you at the Texas Pinball Festival in March. If you haven't booked your tickets to go there, you better hurry. Well, I, I'm not sure whether they will so, uh, ever sell out, but trust me, you want to be there. It's the biggest show of the year. Yeah, and, and, you, and you need to stay um, either in the hotel or very close to the hotel. Well, close to the hotel is, is not a problem because there's plenty of hotels in well, walking distance. I, I don't know how they're filling up at the moment with uh, all the advanced publicity and uh, all the special guests that keep being announced. Um, uh, maybe the, the, the choice or selection, uh, and indeed the prices, may, may become a little, little challenging. 
uh, once uh, once all these hotels realise there's, there's such a big event taking place. But uh, I don't think there's any chance much these days of getting into the, the hotel itself, the embassy suites, because well, I think that sells out. Well, that's sold out, basically. Sometimes people cancel. And True. who knows? Yeah. Maybe there was a convention nearby and 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 they decided to cancel that. I don't know. Um, but oh, give it a try. Else, pick one, pick one of the other hotels nearby. Absolutely. There, as you say, there are plenty of other hotels in the area and uh, and lots of good restaurants and uh, oh yeah, uh, other eateries and shops and stores and uh, bars and everything. Yeah. Anyway, so it'll be a good time in Frisco. Um, towards the end of, uh, of March. And, and we will both be there and we will both be reporting as well as uh, presenting our seminar. Right. And we might even be um, doing some interviews at the show. Absolutely. Uh, for yes. our uh, future uh, for podcast. podcast. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Probably the end of March, uh, we will come back with some, some interesting recordings and some, uh, some exclusive news as well. So will you be recording uh, any of the seminars at the show? Um, I normally don't for that show because normally they, they do record them, but I will get in touch with, um, with Ed and find out what the situation is because it's been, it's been a little, how should I say, um, unpredictable, uh, from year to year because, um, there've been people who've recorded them and said they'll be on online you know, straight away. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later they aren't online and I was kind of wishing I had recorded them. Um, so I'll, I'll see what the deal is this year. Um, every year, their um, their coverage does get better, but um, maybe this year I, I want to find out what the situation is this year. And if they're not going to record it or put it online, then I will. Um, but I'm hoping that um, yeah, that doesn't. That's not a requirement. But, uh, right. but I'll still be there in the audience for everyone anyway. So you know, maybe I'll just record them anyway and, and see what happens. Right. And. Um... There is some other news regarding uh, the organizational team of the uh, Texas Pinball Festival because Ooh, tell. Ed and Kim, who are the main organizers of the show, um, mm. also opened the Texas Pinball Museum in Mith- right. Midlothian, Texas, which is about an hour's drive uh, from Frisco, I would say. And um, I'm not sure whether the museum will be open during the show, but if you're heading to Texas, uh, and in case it is, and easy to find out because they, uh, the museum is on Facebook, so you can easily find out whether they are open or not that weekend. If you're not heading to well, uh, the, the festival itself, or maybe not on Saturday, then uh, that might be interesting to, um, to pay a visit. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure exactly how many machines they've got there. I think uh, like uh, 20-ish. So it's not... uh, If you have to choose, I'd probably go to the Texas Pinball Festival with (laughs) close to 400 games. But if you're like, oh, I can't make it, but still like to play some pinball, um, or maybe not that weekend, but do check out. I think they're currently only open on Saturdays. Uh, But... um, I think it's a good cause. Uh, it's always fun to see locations like that open up. And um, uh, if you're in Texas, go on, um, uh, yeah. visit them, and uh, drop a few quarters or whatever the arrangement is. Well, I have no idea. Well, but it's, uh, I think it's a single. It's ten dollars. I think to play all day. Oh, so, day. Uh, oh very good value. Yeah. Is there a fine for not playing all day? <laughs> Uh, Ten dollars for the ability to play all day, shall I say? Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not sure it's compulsory, but 
you know. You didn't uh, pay there's, all there's day. There's nice selection of machines there. So, uh, yeah, get on down there and uh, um, before the show and, and, and after the show, maybe. You know. Right. So um, a lot on the other on. hand, uh, I'm not sure. I haven't checked this with Ed, uh, and maybe I should, uh, and we can get back on this um, in our next podcast. It could also be that all the games from the museum are being moved to the Texas show and uh, then move back uh, once the show is over. So that might be the case. I'm not sure. Uh, could be. But anyway, there is a Texas Pinball Museum, and if you're in the neighborhood, do check it out. And I'm sure we will be uh, reporting on that during our our uh, reported reportage of the uh, Texas Pinball Festival. So we'll we'll be uh, visiting the museum and uh, seeing what's going on Well, we're going not on visiting there. Deep Root now, so we got a, we got a <laughs> day to spare, I guess. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, anybody else wants to invite us to uh, come and visit, just let us know, and we'll uh, we'll certainly try and fit it into our into our very busy schedule. Speaking of which, um, any suggestions? Um, it's okay. We're in the uh, Dallas area, and we're looking for interesting pinball locations or anything pinball that's interesting and uh, worth visiting. So um, if you have any suggestions, please do drop us an email. Either yeah. me or Martin, um, our email addresses are on uh, our respected uh, websites, which are pinballnews.com or pinball-magazine.com. Yes, um, last year I think we went to Cidercade and discovered that place. Then we went to um, a few other arcades around the area and we went so, to uh, fun which we was the fun. Um, yeah um, it was fun indeed. absolutely yeah and they they we, we were there when they were clearing out their warehouse because he had this huge sale at the um uh what do, what do you call it the um the flea market um yeah, on the, saturday the, morning swap meet. Yeah. yeah exactly that was the word i was looking for yeah on saturday morning swap meet um yeah the vans turned up and uh, they were just full of Full of um, assorted pinball games and and, yeah. and cabinets and playfields and there were seriously it was um, almost painful to watch <laughs> because I would yeah. have liked to take a few project games but it's since I'm in Europe and the games were over there that would not make any sense. Yeah, what can you do? But um, hopefully, some some uh, buyers there got some good deals, and uh, and fun managed to uh, make make some space in their in their show or their uh, storage storage area in the, in their warehouse, which was absolutely rammed full of machines when we went to visit. Yeah, so either they filled it up again, or they have a, a bit more space. So that's always the chance. Yeah. Yeah. So, but um, so um, we're looking forward to visiting uh, other cool pinball-related places this year as well. So, if you know anything. Um, do let us know. Yep. Okay. Cool. Okay. So I think that kind of wraps up um, the events from January. Unless you, unless you can think of anything else. No, I think this is it. Um, one, one last note. Um, we haven't mentioned uh, Color DMD uh, that much in our podcast lately, but I do want to mention them uh, because they obviously still do uh, great work. Um, and they just announced a new game mm-hmm. uh, for which uh, color DMD uh, graphics are available, and that's Stern Elvis. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, the, the usual little teaser and guess the name of the game on Facebook. And um, somebody or other, I can't imagine who it was, actually guessed it correctly. 
fairly early on from the from the clues given. And uh, yeah, I was surprised to see that uh, Elvis wasn't actually one that they'd done before, but uh, it wasn't, and uh, it's it's now available. But shouldn't for, Elvis for be in black and white? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay, I'm kidding. I'm you, kidding. So. You can always have it in black and white with a, with a color DMD anyway, can't you? Uh, yeah, you can. That's true as well. Yeah, it's so. a monochrome option. So, uh, but yeah, it's nice to see that game getting a bit of love and uh, and attention because it's. Uh, I think it's quite a fun game and quite underrated. Yeah, and speaking of color DMD, I'd like to make a plug for um, their uh, uh, color LED displays i think they're called um uh, with the the, the um, they do have this the, the 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 lcd screens of which the um intensity of the artwork um is not the same as you have on a dot matrix display but now with these color led displays or whatever they are called mm. man those images look good well, it's certainly very bright, that's for sure. And yeah. I think uh, LED is definitely the way that they will be going in um, for, for future products because um, the I think the, the supply of the LCD panels that they, they were using um, is kind of coming to an end. They were kind of laptop panels, I think. So moving to, uh, to custom-made LED displays is very good. Very intense colors, as you said, very vivid, very bright. Um, yeah, maybe maybe too bright in some cases. Maybe too. Well, uh, uh, some people have said that they find them a little wearing on the eyes because the unlike the LCD panels, the actual these are emissive displays, so they actually produce light rather than block light, right. which is what the LCD does. But the actual point where the light is generated can be quite small in comparison to the uh, to an LCD dot. Um, so it's it's but. You know, in in the right circumstances, and you know, if, if it's in a very dark room, you probably want to turn it down a bit. But it's in daylight, you know, nothing beats having an, an LED display because that, that that those images really do pop on the display. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, it was last year, I think, at the uh, Texas Pinball Festival, if I'm not mistaken, that they uh, introduced the uh, the larger um, uh, LED display for uh, games like uh, Baywatch and uh, Maverick mm. and that kind of stuff. Um, I was very impressed with the images, how, how cool the images of uh, uh, Baywatch looked on on that big uh, LED display. Um, well, yes, I mean, it, was, it was the year before they actually introduced LEDs in the first, first place with uh, Circus Voltaire, uh, which is always a problematic display because it's on the play field and having one of the larger LCD panels, it wouldn't fit on, on the playfield for Circus Voltaire, so producing a custom size LED was was ideal. Right. Um, so that looked wonderful, and of course, you know, Circus Voltaire is just full of color that game. Uh, but moving on to onto your point, yes, well, it's great to see that um, now you can get replacement displays for the for those um, those one nine two by sixty four high resolution and uh, large displays for the for those uh, those Sega games like Frankenstein and uh, and Baywatch. Yeah, and and Maverick and so on, uh, which were much needed, I have to say as well, because I sadly recall uh, selling a Baywatch game for way too cheap, um, because the uh, actually the display was still kind of okay on that game, but the rest of the game was um, very creatively handled uh, by a uh, Italian technician, which is never a good thing. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but seeing that 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 
color display really made me regret selling that game. Yep, so there you go. A new lease of life for games which, which might have uh, might otherwise not, not uh, been been viable to restore or economically viable to, to restore. Right. So uh, good news there. Right. So, um, well, I guess that um, we're at the end of this, uh, this podcast. Thank you all for listening, tuning in, and um, we'd be back by the end of next month, early... Early um, March, I guess it's going to be, yeah. the end of February, March. We're looking right. back on the, uh, the 28 days of February in the, in the wonderful world of pinball. Right. So thank you for listening and uh, bye for now. Yes, goodbye. See you next time.